Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, I want to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to take up our offering. Before we do that, I want to uh, just share a couple of things. I know many of you guys have prayer requests out there. We want to pray for you guys. Um, but specifically today, I'd like to focus in on, some of you guys know Heather and Dakota Sykes. Um, Dakota has MS, and, and he just went through a back surgery. It was six, seven-hour back surgery. His spine was so curved that it was a massive, massive surgery, and, and they had to straighten it and then stick a, basically a rod down his back. The thing about it is, and if you don't know much about their life, is that, um, you know, I, I feel like every time we're praying for God to move in a certain situation, the enemy comes in as hard as he can. And I know you guys have situations like that as well. And so we, we do, we lift you up that, with that today. But he's really struggling right now in the hospital. And there's a lot of unknowns of trying to get help for him the way that he needs help. And it's like every time we feel like God is getting ready to break through it's like the enemy's trying to put up another wall. And so I don't even really know what to ask you to pray for, except that um, we know that it's the plans of God that prosper, amen? And so I'm asking as a church family that you would remember these names, Heather and Dakota. If you guys would please be praying for them, pray for strength and, and, and that rest that we just prayed for as well, and just lift them up in prayer that God would move mountains so that she can get the help that she needs for her son. If you guys would pray for that, I would really appreciate that. And again, we lift up all the needs out there today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and your encouragement today. I do specifically, God, we just, we lift up Dakota and Heather. Um, God, as he is in a lot of pain right now, but even just what's going to happen after God with how to go through the rehabilitation and, and just the help that Heather needs. Lord, I'm asking, this is one of those moments where as a church family, we rally behind a family and we say, Father, would you move would you move on their behalf, Father? Would you, would you move mountains? Would you stir hearts? Whatever it is, God, that needs to be done. But, God, we trust that your plans are better than ours. And so, God, we submit them to you. And, God, we're not going to sit there and try to tell you what we think is best for them. We're simply going to just say whatever is best, we rest in that, Father. And so we thank you, God, for what you're doing, and we just ask for your hand to be over that situation. God, as we take up our offering this morning, uh, we, just, we, we don't want to be remiss in saying it every week. God, we, we have no desire to build Reliance Community Church. Would you take this offering, and would you give it to missionaries? Would you give it to gospel workers? Will you give it to kingdom workers that are ready to take the hope of Jesus into the darkest of places, into the farthest of reaches, to the people who feel like they don't deserve it, God? Would you take the gospel message to the ends of the earth and can we be a part of that God with our time with our talents and with our treasures thank you for your generosity father may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name amen amen how many guys love you some Jesus today It is good to have you guys here on Memorial Weekend. We, we do, I want you to know, I was making fun of those at the lake. We do bless those at the lake because Jesus says to love your enemies, amen? And so 
we, uh, we do bless those, and, and we're, we're, we're sad for those that can't be here today, but man, it's good to be with family. We call ourselves a family. Christian, I say this a lot, but you guys are a family, and I feel like Memorial uh, Weekend is a time to hang out with loved ones, friends, and, and you guys are that for us, so it is good to be here. Um, every year that kind of Memorial Day rolls around, um, you know, I told you it started off with, with where you were, you know, kind of remembering veterans and those who kind of came before and, and served our country. It's morphed into remembering everybody, which is a beautiful thing. But every year that Memorial Day comes around, I struggle with what it is that I want to preach on. Because I'm like, I don't want to do the Memorial Day sermon. I don't want to fit the mold. You know, I don't want to be kind of boxed in on what I have to preach on and, and whatnot. And so this year I was like, I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to preach on that. And, and the more that I was thinking about what it is that God was putting on my heart for today, the more I realized something. Um, we do not talk about Memorial Day. We do not talk about remembering. We do not talk about how to be remembered very often, do we? We don't talk about those things. In fact, the only time that we talk about how will people remember you is at a funeral, right? And so really the only time we even talk about remembering or how will, people, how will you be remembered is if somebody dies or, or there's a tragedy that happens. And I thought, man, that's sad, it's sad that as the church, we're called to leave a mark in this world for Jesus Christ, and it typically happens that we only talk about it at funerals around tragedies. And so we're going to talk about how to be remembered today, amen? We're going to talk about how to be remembered because I believe that it's important to speak on what does it look like for people to remember you in life. And so, um, you know, I've, I've said this before, but memories are a great thing. Amen. How many guys love memories? I was thinking about this this week, and I think one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us is the ability to have memories. Now, I'm saying that with a grain of salt because there are definitely those times where I wish we couldn't remember things, all right? Let's just be honest with one another. Like, did I really say that? Did I really do that? I really wish I would not remember that. But when you think about out of all the designs that God gave us when he made us, when you think about all of his designs, you would think that short memories would have helped, right? You would think that God would have developed us with only short memories. Like, I came to Christ, I don't even remember how I was. I don't remember the, what, the things that I used to do. I don't, re I don't remember all the, the, the failures that I had in life. I don't remember the people that I hurt or that hurt me. I don't remember the bad influences that I had. Or you think if God was going to create us, he would have created us only with the capacity to have good memories, right? Like if I'm God and I'm tinkering with somebody's mind, I'm going to try to create them with good memories only. But that's not how God created us. God created us with short memories and long memories. God created us with the ability to remember good things and at times the ability to remember bad things. And we know that God is perfect in his creation, so he had a plan in it. Amen, church? And see, I believe that God gives us those long-term and short-term memories, those goods and those bads. I believe he gives us all of those things because those memories shape us into who we are today. Those memories shape you into who you are today. A couple of weeks 
back, I had the opportunity to go to Abilene, Kansas. Um, I call that my hometown, and I got invited to do kind of a speaking engagement there for their um, National Day of Prayer breakfast for the city that, that, to, to come to. And so um, they said, you want to come and speak? And I was like, yeah, man, I would love to. It's kind of my old stomping grounds. And, you know, the claim to fame for Abilene is really three things. And it's the Eisenhower Museum, old Abilene town. And this is the one that I really hang my hat on. It's the Greyhound capital of the world, all right? Greyhound racing dogs. And a lot of my friends, I don't know, I just like to throw that out there. I don't know why. But um, so, so I went back to, to, to where I spent most of my growing up life, and, and it was in Abilene. And the minute I kind of, I, I got there early because I wanted to get there early. I wanted to drive around a little bit for the nostalgia of it, right? So I drove into town, and I began to reminisce as I drove down every street, all right? And there was a lot of trouble that happened in Abilene from time to time. But I drove down the streets and memories just begin to flood in. Everywhere I went, every place that I stopped, I remembered specific things that had happened and specific instances that had happened as I drove by those places. Many of them were a bit scary. Like I remember driving by, I drove by one of my best friend, Dames was his name. I drove by his house and I remember just vividly, like it was yesterday, we were illegally lighting off fireworks. I think it was in like, I don't know, it may have been in January, I don't remember what. And one of them shot and started a huge fire on this whole row of bushes. And he runs away and I started running towards it to put it out and then I remembered, I'm gonna get in trouble. And so then I ran away from it. And I vividly remember that. I'm like, that felt like it was just yesterday. You know what I'm talking about? And then I drive down another street, and and I remember this particular tree. It sounds so stupid, but I remember this particular tree in this stoplight right here because there was this kid that was a bully, okay? And I had a mouth on me, all right? I know that's hard to believe. But I was fairly a mouthy kid, all right? And so I was, I just, and I just want to preface, I was a mouthy kid because he was a bully, all right? That's, so I feel like that that justified it in some ways. But he would always try to, you know, pound on kids that were younger, and we were always younger, and he was older, a couple years older than us, but I was faster than this guy. So he would start pounding on somebody, and then I would like, I don't know, I would say a bunch of mouthy things to him, and then I would just start running because I'm like, you can't catch me, right? And this was like a daily occurrence. And I remember this tree in this stoplight because that particular day I was running and a car drove by, so I had to stop, and this big bully caught me, and he's dragging me, and he says, I'm going to pound you. And then from around this big tree, my older brother, who was bigger than this punk, right, picks him up and just knocks the trash out of him. I don't know if that's what, he didn't really, I, the moral of the story is don't fight, all right, but... <laughs> Outside of that, I just remember this kid just getting up and running away crying. I'm like, yeah. And as I drove by, I remember that there was like self-satisfaction in that moment. Just want you to know that. And I'm driving around and every place I'm going to, I'm just remembering these things. And it was awesome having all of these memories flood back in. But then as I went and I got to the place where I was speaking out and a couple hundred people were coming um, to, to this prayer breakfast I walk in, and as I I got into the prayer breakfast, all those places that I had visited, they were just places and situations and circumstances that had happened. But as I got into that prayer breakfast, people from all over Abilene began to pile in, and I began to remember faces. And as I began to remember faces, memories began to pile back in, and and, and as, as, as I saw people, and as they were coming up to me, that people would come up and they would say, Aaron Wallace? Do you remember 
me? And to be honest with you, I didn't. And I would say, yes, I remember you. And so I'm just, I guess I needed to confess today. I kind of, I maybe threw out a couple of lies. Don't lie. That's the other one. No fighting, no lying. But in that moment, I didn't have the heart to tell these people that I'd grown up with that I did not always remember who they were. But the majority of them I did. I want you to know that. And so I remember they were coming up and they would say, do you remember me? And they would say, I remember you. And they almost always followed it with something like, man, you were ornery, right? And almost all of them had a story about me when I was little that they wanted to tell. And almost all of them told one of the same stories. And when we first moved to Abilene as pastors, you know, in small towns, it was kind of a common theme where when you moved into a town, everybody in the town, it felt like, would come and see you, right? And they would bring you chocolate pies, they would bring you cookies, they would bring you casseroles. I'm just saying, we can invite that back. I know I've lived here for a while, but you're more than welcome to do that. I'm just throwing that out. But when you got there in small towns, that's what they did. And, and, so, and so they would all tell the same story. We go, we remember when the new pastor came into town and everybody's coming to see you. You stood at the front door with candy cigarettes going, come on in. Welcome, come on in. And they all, they all have this vivid memory. And I'm like, yeah, so do I because I got spanked for it, all right? But I, I, we used to buy, you guys remember those candy cigarettes, anybody? Yeah, yeah, those were good. I don't even know if they make them anymore. Tyson, they, they don't make those anymore, all right? But I would sit there and I was just like, and it was just like I played the part, I was like, Shh. I was like, I don't, five, come on in, right? And they were like, oh, this is a great pastor family, right? And they would all tell these stories and they would say, do you remember, do you remember? And I would say, absolutely, I remember those, those things. But with almost every face that I saw, I remembered something about them. I remember the lady who used to watch us when we were kids. I remember one of my best friend's moms, that, that, that they were doctors, and they always had the best food in their house. I remember the wife of the farmer was there. The farmer passed away last year. The wife of the farmer who was there gave me my first job. I was 12 years old. I worked on his chicken farm. I mean, I remember these vivid memories. I remember the math teacher. I saw him from across the room. I was horrible at math, and he avoided me like the plague, all right? But with almost every face, like a memory came in of how these people in some way, shape, or form impacted my life. How some of these people, many of these people spoke something into my life. And I started to ask myself a question. How will people remember me? How will I be remembered? And so again, I'm not trying to give you a funeral message on Lake Day, all right? But I do think it's an important message that we've got to ask ourselves as believers. How will people remember us? I think as a father, this comes up a lot, you know, and, and I've shared this before, but I want my kids to remember me positively, all right? Are they going to remember me with patience? Not a chance. Are they going to say, my dad was slow to anger? Mm-mm, all right? But I, I want them to remember me positively. The reality is we're going to remem be remembered for something. Every person in here will be. Listen, there's nobody in here that has not had some type of relationship with someone, so you will be remembered in some way, shape, or form. Even if you did nothing in life, you'll be remembered then for doing nothing. It's not a question of will we leave a mark on this earth to be remembered by, but rather will that mark be something that will continue long after we're gone, amen? 
There's something that uh, I want to get into in 1 Thessalonians. You guys have your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. And uh, we, just, we just finished studying Thessalonians in our men's Bible study on, on Thursday mornings. We went through uh, 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians. And so I love this scripture. It's very near and dear to my heart. I've shared it in here before. But before I read that, Martin Luther, I've read this quote before a few years back, but Martin Luther said something when he was asked what he would do if he knew that he were going to die tomorrow. I've always loved his reply. Martin Luther said, I'd go out and I'd plant a tree. I'm thinking, you're saying that if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you'd go out and you'd plant a tree. And then he followed it up with his framework. He said he wanted something that he would leave behind that would grow on and on long after he was gone. And then he began to speak about legacy. So as we talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, I want you to understand that my heart today is that we have a framework on how to be remembered not by the world's standards, but how to be remembered by God's standards. Amen, church? Because God's standards are much more important than the world's standards. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this, To the church of Thessalonia, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We all thank God for all of you and continually mention in our prayer, continue to mention you in our prayers. We remember, somebody say we remember. We remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you, were welcomed, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, somebody say a model, to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And let me share with you why I'm so fascinated with that portion of scripture. Because to understand why that's such a profound thing, somebody might read that and be like, yeah, 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 we're supposed to be good Christians, right? Let me tell you why that's so profound. To do that, we have to know the context in which these Thessalonian believers were living. Let me read to you some of the context in which they were living in. Thessalonia was a major seaport city. It was a place where a lot of people converged on. Major highways of Rome kind of ran through here. So it began to become this major metropolitan area, which brought in different races, different ethnicities, different religions, and they all began to kind of melt and mix in this one place in Thessalonia. And so Paul being a great missionary, goes, man, we should go there because the gospel message can reach many different kinds of people. It makes sense. So Paul gets his companions. They go to this place in Thessalonia, and they began to preach the gospel. Here's the thing that Scripture says, though. As Paul began to preach the gospel in Thessalonia, only a small amount, it calls it just a, a few people believed in the message. A few people believed in the message, but it said a larger group, the majority of the people, begin to get indignant and frustrated with the message that Paul was bringing. 
They were mad because it was influencing their way of life. They were mad because it was affecting their way of life. They were upset because the message that Paul was bringing was not kosher to how they wanted to live. And so as he's preaching the gospel and a few people are receiving it, the majority are getting all worked up because they don't like how Paul's saying, we've got to submit our life to Jesus. They don't like how Paul's saying Jesus is the only way and that their gods are not the way. So they begin to get a group of people up and they begin to riot and they chase Paul and his companions out of the city. And this is where we see in Acts chapter 17 where they were in Thessalonica when it said, the people said, these men, Paul and his companions, are turning the world upside down. So both a reputation and a legacy was being built there by Paul and his companions. So if you were one of the few people who said yes to Jesus there in Thessalonia, if you were one of the few who said, man, I want to follow this God that Paul's talking about, let me just say you were in the minority. You probably likely had most of your family that didn't believe what you believed. You probably had many of your friends who thought you were crazy and probably abandoned you because you believed what Paul said and not what you've always believed. So the reason that I'm so fascinated by 1 Thessalonians 1, as Paul talks about, man, your faith in God has become known everywhere, is because of the situation that they were in. It was a rough situation. It was a rough region. It was a terribly severe place to be as a Christian. And yet something inside of them, something tangible, rose up within this small group of believers that began to affect every region around them. Amen, church. Sounds very biblical to me. And so as we work through this, I'm sure that there were days where these believers probably felt like it would be much easier to give up and give in on their faith in Christ. But yet something drove them for more. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at three things that Paul says to them on how they are remembered and marked for all the world to see. Basically, I want to talk about three things on how you and I, according to this, can be remembered for the things of God and not the things of the world. So number one, he says in verse three, remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Somebody say faith. Let this be said of us. My prayer is that verse three can be said of us. My prayer is that somebody can say, this church is a church that will be remembered by your work, that, by, by your work produced by faith. I want the world to see something that's so faithful in this group of individuals, in this body, that's connected with bodies all over Wichita, but so faithful that, 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 that work or good works are being produced within us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. I want this to be said of us. In this tense region, where the message of Jesus is not popular, there was a work that was happening that, pro- that was produced by one thing. These men and women had a faith in God that was contagious. Church, I want you to hear something. There was such a love for God in this place. There was such a love for God in these Thessalonian believers that God had so radically changed their hearts that good works just simply poured out from them. Let me tell you why I believe that the measure of a good church, the measure of a good church is not attendance. Let me tell you why I believe that the measure of a good church is a church by faith that produces good works. Amen? Because a church by faith that produces good works will become known to every region around the world. 
because we will be Jesus around the world. This is how you measure a good church, meaning a bunch of people so consumed with their faith, they just simply let it work out of them. Paul says in verse 8, the message rang out. Rang out means it went everywhere. The message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Can I just say this is huge for me. The Lord's message rang out everywhere from you. Remember what he's talking about. What is that message? The good works, what you're doing in a tense place, the good works, what you're doing in a region that persecutes you is going out everywhere. In other words, The message that was going out was, look at what these believers are doing, not just saying, amen, church. Look at what these believers are doing and not just saying. What in the world is driving them? Why would they do that? The more we pound them, the more they work harder to show their faith. The more that we beat them, the more that their faith just continues to grow. Why are they not hiding in the cracks and crevices? The more that we destroy them, the more they're raised up. And the more they continue to be filled with joy. So as I was reading this, and I studied the early church, what was taking place in these times, there was an author that I like to read, and and, uh, he was talking about what it was like in the early church, the 200s, 300s, and 400s after Christ. And we've shared these things before, but about the the, the tremendous persecution, and we know about the Christians that would go into the Colosseums, and they would kill kill the Christians in the Colosseums, and they would release lions, and all those kinds of things. And this particular author said this about the many Christians dying. He writes about what he read in some journals and things that they had found, and it says, we ourselves, we ourselves beheld, we ourselves beheld when we were all at these places, many Christians in a single day, some who suffered punishment by fire, others beheading, so many beheadings that the ax was dull and worn out, the ax was broken into pieces, the executioners grew utterly weary, It was then that we observed a most marvelous eagerness and a truly divine power and zeal in those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as a sentence was given against one of the believers, someone else would leap up to the the trial before the judge and confess themselves to be a Christian as well. There was such a faith that the believers, upon seeing other believers sentenced to death, would jump up to be counted worthy of the gospel. And I know we shared stories like that before, but I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. What would drive a group of people in a tense region that were persecuted on a daily basis to stand up for their faith when they saw their brothers and sisters in Christ being beat down? They had a faith that produced good works. The faith that the believers were living out was leaving a lasting mark for every single person to see because they weren't focused on just the here and now. They had a sight set on realities of heaven, amen? One of the things that made Christianity so attractional in those days, why it spread like wildfire in those days, is that it could not be denied that these people were either crazy or set apart. One of the things that drew people in When this persecution was happening 
and it says that Christianity around the region began to explode is that people would look in and say, who would do that? It goes against everything in our nature. And they realized that these people were set apart. Paul even bought into this. Obviously, he talked about it in 1 Thessalonians, but then he writes it even at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What does he say? I have kept the faith. Paul gets it. This is how he quantified, I have fought the good fight. Here's how he quantified that I've finished the race. What do you mean you fought the good fight? What do you mean you finished the race? He says, I have kept the faith. Everything in this life, everything in this life wants to take faith away from you. Everything in this life wants to take faith away from you and either put it somewhere else or end it in your life, church. Everything wars against your faith, and it wants you to either end that faith or simply find something else to put your faith into. Paul was certainly not a perfect person. He tells us, man, I was the chief of sinners. I was a murderer of murderers. He said, all of those things that I have done in my life, but all of that is rubbish. All of that I consider a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. You see, church, I think that we need to see something here. Most people remember us by how we finished, not how we start. Amen? But there's an epidemic with every person in here. And that is most of us only remember ourselves by how we began. And that's how we measure ourselves. You see, God looks at the finish line and we look at the starting line and we're bummed that we didn't start right. And I'm telling you right now that I'm believing in faith that your past does not define you. Your past does not define you, but your past does fuel you, amen? It fuels you to be the person that you know that God wants to make you or created you to be. And and so you never have to have that. It's never too late to change that story. You never have to go back to your past and dwell in that. And so we're marked by faith, number one. Number two, we remember before our God and Father, he says this, your labor prompted by love, Your labor prompted by love. So he starts with work. I like how he starts with work, and then he changes it to labor. In this case, the word labor is referring to a much more difficult sense, all right? It's a much more difficult sense. So so you can say, well, I worked today, or you can say, I labored today. One of them doesn't sound so severe. If you say, I went to work, people are like, well, that's what we do. If you say, I labored, you're like, well, that's pretty rough, right? You would never, I just, you know, we've been having some babies and stuff born. I would never go up to somebody and say, did you work kind of hard having that baby, right? (laughs) That would end bad for me, Amen. And I would hope that some other guy would come help me in that. So what he meant was, did you labor hard, right? It would end bad. Why? Because labor has a different connotation to it. It means, you know, I didn't just kind of work a little bit for it. No, man, I had to labor for it. I had to really give more than I thought that I might have to give for that. So Paul is describing that the believers are here. The believers right here are loving people who are not easy to love. Amen. They're loving people who are not easy to love. It was labor, but it was driven by love. The legacy they're leaving is driven by a labor of love. And there are times in our Christian life where I'm just going to tell you right now, we encounter people who are hard to love. Do I hear an amen to that? And it's a labor to love them. Let me just say something to you. I'm wondering if sometimes it's a labor for God when he's trying to love us when we're stinking thinking, right? We're living that life. I wonder if sometimes he's like, oh, I am laboring today. 
And so in the same token, man, I'm saying that he says it's a labor prompted by love. He's not saying that it's always easy. He's saying you've got to work hard at it. What defined, what marked these people is that they labored to love people. 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Look, if it sounds out of my mind that I'm loving somebody who just absolutely is horrible to me at times, it's because Christ's love compels me. I'm not saying what they did was okay. I'm not saying they're not acting like a jerk. I'm not saying that there's not a moment in time, many times, where it goes to my mind that I want to punch, right? I want to kick. I'm simply saying that in that moment, what compels me is the love of Jesus laboring for me and my love now laboring for them. Now we understand when Jesus says to love our enemies. Now here's why this is so important. Because love can cause us to do crazy things. When we love people, we'll do crazy things. I want you to know, and I've, I've shared this many times in here with you before, I love my wife so much that I told her I would never, ever drive a minivan. You guys remember that, right? <laughs> we are a minivan family, and I drive it a lot. And I'm just telling you right now, that is a labor of love at times for me. We do things when we love that we would not normally do. The same thing happened and happens when we are driven by the love of God. One of the favorite illustrations that I've shared over the years in here, a couple years ago we shared this, and it was about the history again of what happened in the early church where plagues swept through Rome, and we, we remember we talked about that, and it said while those plagues swept through the Roman Empire, Christians were being horribly persecuted. The earliest Christians, though, during that time gave themselves in works of love that it says dumbfounded the non-believers. For them, God loved humanity and God wanted his love expressed on earth in deeds of compassion. During the plague in Alexandria, when, when everyone else fled, the early Christians risked their lives for one another by simply doing simple deeds of washing the sick, offering food and water, consoling the dying. This care was so extensive that eventually the government tried to copy the church's welfare system and it failed. And here's why. Because for the Christians, it was out of love and not duty. We don't labor for love out of duty. We labor for love out of love. That's what motivates us. It says this, the first Christians not only took care of their own, but they reached far beyond. At the risk of their own lives, they saved an immense number of lives. Many Christian survivors of the plague became immune. They were able to pass among the afflicted without, seemingly, without feeling seemingly invulnerable to the plague. In this way, the early Christians became, in the words of one scholar, a whole force of miracle workers to heal the dying. The people of the Roman Empire were forced, I love that, they were forced to admire their works and dedication. Look how they love one another. It's no wonder that Christianity spread so rapidly. The love that practiced drew the attention of the world just as Jesus said it would. In John 13, 34, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove, somebody say prove, to the world that you are my disciples. I read some commentary on what he was writing on this and he said, Jesus wouldn't have left the sick to fend for themselves, would he? Jesus would have stayed 
Jesus would have healed. Jesus would have loved. So they simply did what Jesus did. In fact, Mother Teresa has a quote, famous quote. She says, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. You see, that's why they called her the saint or the mother, mother of the gutter. Because she would go into the gutters and the places where the unwanted would go and live. And she would pull them out and she would show them some humanity. And she would show them the love of Jesus. Amen. When you speak the gospel of salvation to a people who have witnessed Christian love, listen to this key. When you speak salvation to a bunch of people who have never seen Christian love, they may reject it. But when you speak the gospel of salvation to a people who have witnessed Christian love in action, the lost will be saved. You can't, and you've heard us say this, you can't bully people into the kingdom of God. Amen? You can't force it on them. You can't say, can we pass some laws that everybody has to be a Christian? You can't do it. But you can love people into the kingdom. And that's why in Ephesians 4.15 it says, we will speak the truth in love. We're marked by faith. We're marked by love. And the last one is this, real quickly. We remember before our God and Father your endurance inspired by hope in Christ Jesus. Somebody say hope. All of us need to grab hold of this. We're going to close out with this, but all of us need to grab hold of this. In verse 6 and 7, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy. And so you became a model to all the given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers. How do you welcome a message of, severe, in the, of joy in, in the midst of severe suffering? How do you welcome a message of joy when I'm in severe suffering? How do I live in joy and hope when all I see is suffering around me? Your hope is for something more that's in this life. Amen? That's how you do it. There's no other way. If your hope is simply bound in this world, then we're all in trouble. But if our hope is extraordinary, if our hope is supernatural, if our hope is not bound to anything, then we all win. That's why our hope is in Jesus Christ, because no one bounds Jesus Christ. Amen? What tried to bind him with death was defeated. What tried to bind him with shame was defeated. What tried to bind him with deceit and lies was defeated. He broke free so that we could be free. This is our hope. This is the truth that we have, church. Life is tough. Life is challenging. Life is not always kind and gentle. Life is not always easy. But we don't put our hope in this life. We put our hope in the life. And the life is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And people will remember that hope in something more when challenges come. How do I know that? Because Romans 5, 3 says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know they help us develop endurance. And de endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. So, how do I know these are the things that change the Christian life, faith, hope, and love? Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives us, how do you want to be remembered? He gives us the answer. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever, forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
You see, I find it interesting that Paul says these three things will last forever, forever, faith, hope, and love. And then I find it interesting that the Thessalonian believers were marked by three things, faith, hope, and love. So if they were marked by faith, hope, and love that went to the ends of the earth and they were known by faith, hope, and love, and then all of a sudden Paul says, these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, then I'm telling you right now as believers, the way that I want to be remembered, the way that I want us to be remembered is a people that were marked by faith, hope, and love. And when we're marked by faith, hope, and love, the world will come to know Jesus. You won't have to beg. You won't have to plead. They will see it inside of your life. There was a quote that somebody put on Facebook. His name's Sam McVeigh, and he talked about hope. And he says this, hope destroys, hope destroys, hope destroys the stage that despair stands on to torment us. Hope destroys the stage that despair stands on when it's trying to torment us. What do you say to despair? My hope is in Jesus. What do you say to that broken issue? My hope is in Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. This is how we will be remembered. I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we close out with this last song. I know you've got your plans today to get out, probably out of town. We're going to close out with this song. I want to pray this over you today. Father God, may we always be marked as a church. And I'm not just talking about a body within just these four walls. I'm talking about the church universal, God. May we always be marked as a church of faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. In your name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.